0: Okay, well, today's sermon, um, actually, all week long, I've been been studying for this couple weeks, actually, and it it takes me back to a friendship um, from my childhood. Um, We all have, uh, our parents at one point or another probably said to us, hey, don't hang out with those guys, watch out for the rabble rousers, be careful of the, 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 you know, the, the pack you run with, stay away from that ringleader. Well, I had a good friend growing up. Um, back in the 1920s, no, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, I had, uh, probably my, my best friend was a guy named Luke. And Luke was not the wrong crowd, okay? This is the kind of guy that your parents would want you to play with, okay? And Luke and I, for a few years of our lives, kind of the pre-middle school, all the way through middle school, we went to school together, um, we went to the same church, we piled around And I mean, we piled around everywhere. We shared life about as much as two young boys can share life. My father owned a sailboat, um, so we went sailing with my dad uh, and and mom. Uh, His dad owned a powerboat, and his father was a little bit permissive, so Luke and I took his father's powerboat, and we tore up the inlet Waterway. You know, we went too fast through no-wake zones and water skied. We used to call it, sliding, y'all call it kneeboarding today, and uh, we, we did all of that. Um, we, we had sleepovers, uh, we played sports together, and we, we let the kids go for a reason today, um, because we also did the ultimate young man bonding event, and I'm glad our kids are not here to hear what we used to do. Luke and I would shoot each other with BB guns. Um, we would put on our father's safety glasses, and we just, and I mean, we would pick BBs out of our skin sometime, but not a good idea, I know that now, okay, <laughs> haven't done that in years, but, but this, this, was, this was my childhood friend and, and Luke and I actually still are friends, we've really renewed our friendship um, in just really the last couple of years, but Luke was a fantastic friend for me to have. Um, Luke was also a very funny guy and, um, and Luke was very quirky. Now let me just say a note to the quirky people and about the quirky people. Quirkiness is awesome, okay? Get to know as many quirky people in the world that you can. It always pays off, okay? So Luke was quirky. Now, he was real athletic. He was a better athlete than I was, and I was pretty good. But Luke was a great athlete, and his, his greatest quirk was that he over-idolized all of his sports heroes, okay? So whatever sport we were playing, Luke would finish that sports move by calling out his hero like so like if we were playing football and I, I, I threw a pass to Luke, when he caught it, he would go, swan, and he would catch it and go forward. <laughs> if we were playing baseball, you know, he, he, he'd field the ball, throw it over to first base, and he would yell, Ripken. <laughs> and then if, he, if we were playing basketball and he took a, ju- a jumper, he would call out, Jordan. <laughs> and y'all, every time Luke did this, okay, th- th- he must have done this a hundred times, a thousand times. Every time he did it, we cracked up laughing, Okay. We cracked up laughing because it was funny for the first reason, but the other reason we laughed was because it wasn't true, okay? It just wasn't true. Lynn Swan, Cal Ripken, Michael Jordan are one of a kind, okay? They are legends. That There's never been anybody quite like those guys, and none of them were a skinny little white boy from Wilmington, North Carolina, okay? And I had to put the white boy in there because Michael Jordan actually is from Wilmington, right? That's one of our claims to fame. But So so anyway, Luke just was not his hero, okay? Any of his heroes. Let's now pause there and turn to someone who is vastly greater than any hero in our world. Hear with your ears, hear with your heart, your whole being, the word of God. John 1, one through five. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I imagine, okay, for the first reader of John's gospel, I have I, always imagined a very comical reaction from the reader back to John, okay? I kind of see the first person who ever got to see this saying, oh my gosh, John, you finally finished your book about Jesus Christ, right? We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally finally it's done, let's read it. And then he unscrolls it and reads, in the beginning, and stops. Looks up at John and says, John, I really don't want to start off by being critical, okay? I really don't want to bust your bubble when obviously you've poured a lot into this, but we got a problem with your intro, Okay? The problem is this, we already have a book of the Bible that starts exactly that way, okay? Everybody's read it or heard about it, and everybody who's heard about it or read it can recite the opening. It's, uh, whether it's plagiarism or just you need some inspiration, John, if you're trying to crack the bestseller list, this intro's gotta go. You gotta rework this thing. And then John's saying back to the person, I know, I know, just read on a little further. And then the reader putting his head back down and reading, okay, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God. Through Him, everything was made. In Him was life. I, 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 I just see the reader looking up at this point absolutely dumbfounded as their perception their understanding of the word of God has just radically been altered. As John moves from the word of God being a what to a who, from sentences and phrases strung together to express thought to an individual, and obviously a very important individual to someone who was there before our creation, right? I mean, before we were created, he's there. And when you look at it in the Greek, it's real clear. The word the word renders out to he was already there, and he was always there. And through this person who was already there, everything came through him and came to life. Somehow, this someone, every created thing, Finds its life from him, but it's not just that this person has a whole lot of life to give away. This person is life and is so alive that his life is the light of all mankind, a light so powerful darkness can't even overcome it. And this brings every reader, not just the first reader of John, this brings every reader to the same conclusion about this word. This word that John is writing about, it can't be human. This cannot be a human being, leaving just one burning question, John, who is the word you are writing about? Who's the individual? And see, we're here on this side of history, so we all know who John's word is. John's word is Jesus Christ. He's writing about Jesus. And the claims he makes, they are stellar. They're astounding. And when you look a little deeper, there there are a couple of other simple points that come from the text that are simple, but they're mind-blowing. And the first point is that Jesus Christ obviously cannot be some idea that God came up with later. You know, like God looked up and said, oh, got the world going, and hey, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Oh, man, what happened to it? I gotta do something about it. I I gotta send somebody down there. I I don't have an angel big or bad enough or wonderful enough to, you know what, I got it bring, Jesus, go. No, Jesus was in the picture from the very beginning. You know what that makes Jesus? Not only the word of God, but the very first word of God. Jesus is the first word, amen? Second is this. Jesus Christ as the word of God, well, that means that every word of truth we know about God, it's also true about Jesus, Everything we can ascribe to God, uh, goodness, love, life, everything that we read about Him, it obviously applies to Jesus. And you say, well, well, why is that? Why are we stretching it? No. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word is what? The Word is God. I mean, Jesus Christ is God. John is laying that out there right at the very beginning. He's giving away the conclusion before we even get to the crucifixion, the cross, anything, Jesus Christ is God. And so what that means about Jesus is that he is perfect, just like God is. He is perfect in every conceivable way. And so that's why as we we read the book of John, you know, if you stick with it and read the whole thing out, you continue to see the same thing over and over again. Jesus Christ is the only one of his kind. He's the only life giver. He's the only light bringer. He's the only son of God. He's the only king of kings. He's the only Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is the only one who is like this. God, perfect in every way. That's Jesus in John 1, 1 through 5. Let's go back to my friend Luke for a second. I said a minute ago that while Luke pretended to be his sports heroes, he was not any one of his heroes, right? Okay, let's apply that to us. When we come into this world, and this is a sad truth if you don't know it, but it's a truth, so it'll set you free. When we come into this world, we are not Jesus Christ. None of us is Jesus. None of us is like Jesus. Instead, we are born into a world that is polluted with sin. As soon as we come out, sin is here to greet us, okay? Even before we come out of the womb, though, we have our parents' DNA, we got a whole lot of mom and dad inside of us. So when we look back at Jesus who is perfect, folks, we are not so perfect. We are not so perfect as people. I know, it's a hard fact, but it's so true. We're just not a perfect people. When we take the, the, the definition of Christ-likeness, and you can use any one of a number of definitions, um, nobody measures up to it. Nobody on planet Earth measures up to Jesus Christ. Uh, if you take the simplest definition of all, Christ-likeness means we are like Christ. No, No, nobody comes close. I'll break it down a little bit. I I would say this today. Measure of Christ-likeness is that we are like Christ, that God's love is expressed through us in every relationship. Who have you ever known from the get-go whom that's true of? They just express the love of Jesus Christ to every single person in their world. It's tough. It's tough to find somebody. Christ-likeness means that in our minds, our hearts, our words, our actions towards other people or others, and others being God, others being everyone else on the planet, we are like Jesus. We respond to people every time. We, we never react to them, right? We, or, or I'll say it better than this. We, we never react all over them. Their failures with the love of God in us roll off like water on a duck's back. Man, have you ever, I mean, there's no water on a duck's back when it gets hit with water. It all rolls off. Instead of it being like that for us with people and their failures, I tell you, so often people's failures stick to us like slime, you know, like Gus, Ghostbusters. I just got slimed. The love of of Christ, Christ Christ-likeness, means that we would believe the best of people in every situation instead of assuming the worst about them, that we pray for them instead of brooding over them, that we would be at peace with God and mankind instead of at odds with certain people. I, I took that definition, that understanding, the simple one and the expanded one. I held up everybody I could think of against that definition, including the man in the mirror, and nobody even comes close. Through natural means, just who we turn out to be when we come out of, our parent, or out of our mom, through human effort, the best life lived, nobody comes close to Jesus Christ. I mean, you talk about distant seconds. I mean, there's nobody even in the distance compared to Jesus Christ. But see, John has really, really good news for us in chapter 1. Verses 9 through 14, he says this about about Jesus Christ. The true light, this first word, the Son of God, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of God who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And see, that's John's good news for people everywhere, in every generation, that will never measure up, no matter what they do. The good news is that heaven's king, the heavenly son, S-O-N or S-U-N, either way you want to rend it, it is rising up over our darkness. Jesus Christ, the first word of God, the Alpha, you know, we talk about alpha dogs. Ooh, like an alpha dog. Jesus the alpha, the very first word of God. He did not leave us down here like we are. Y'all, that is such good news. Instead, Jesus Christ came down from heaven. He lived among us for a little while, 33 years, but all oh, for three of those years. It was full force. And what did he do? He showed us the glory of God. He extended the grace of God to us. He revealed the, the, the truth of God to us. Jesus offered his light and his life to you and me. And the question is this, why would Jesus do that? I mean, why come down here? We messed it up, right? We, we don't measure up, okay? You know, if, I mean, if, we're, if this is a Busch Gardens ride, nobody, nobody meets the level. Why come down here? Here's why he came down. Because when you love someone... When you love someone and they're in danger, or they're a danger to themselves, or they're in incredible need, when you love someone and you have the power to end their situation, you have the power to make a difference, you have a power to stop the madness, you got a chance to defeat their enemy. You have that opportunity. What do you do? You do it. Every parent in the room, okay, we got a few parents? Come on, let's see you. Parents, let's play a game, okay? Everybody else, imagine somebody you really love, okay? That that person's your kid right now, okay? Parents, let's play a pretend game. Imagine for just a second, imagine one of your children. You can only take one into the scene, okay? So pick a kid, pick a child. Imagine that child all alone. There is no one around them, okay? They are all alone and it's very dark around them. They are in harm's way In this pretend scenario, okay? They're in incredible need, all right? Do you see them? Now suddenly insert yourself into that scene. What are you doing in this moment? Oh, man, kid, good luck. Oh, gosh, I hope that works out. Golly, that's a bummer. Oh, man, I hope the line doesn't eat you. No! You rush to their aid. You fly to their aid. You do anything that's required. You find You know, I've heard about people lifting cars. I mean, you're throwing cars and anything to get to your child. You know? And I'm telling you, it's like that. I saw a mother the other day just right outside, uh, right outside the building, and she had lost her child. She was at the clothing thing, and Harrison saw it too. She couldn't find her child. I mean, it was like the Incredible Hulk. She goes, where are you? That's just how we are with our children. Folks, that's John's point in verse 9 and verse 14. We were down here. It was messed up. Jesus came down in our gross imperfection, in our mess. We caused it all. He came in the midst of our hatred, our anger, our bitterness, our fear. He came into our greed, our self-pity our me first selfishness he came into our self-inflicted sin everything that we had messed up john said jesus came down into that and he revealed god to us he made god known to you and me and jesus took light and life and he put it on the table as an offer for every single one of us john 9 or john chapter 1 is all about rescue mission Jesus Christ came on a rescue mission, and every one of us are the ones he came to rescue. Now, the irony is this. The irony in verse 11 is that when Jesus came back then, some people shielded their eyes. They, they refused Right, They refused the light and the life of Jesus Christ. And what's so amazing is that when we read the story, a lot of the people that we think, oh, those guys are ready, those guys want Jesus, all they're talking about is the Messiah, oh, these guys are ready, a lot of people we think would run to Jesus ran away from Jesus. And it's tragic, I know, but if Genesis 3 teaches us anything, it teaches us that mankind can refuse God, and many did. But verse 12 says this, Nevertheless, Jesus Christ came for all and all who received him. Everyone who believed in his name, they became children of God. Instead of shielding their eyes, they welcomed the light. They stepped out into it, they, uh, just basking in the light of the sun. Everyone who did that became a child of God. And I tell you, when you look back at history, you know, on notable people who were saved or maybe some notable people you know who didn't make the history book, we got to admit, there are a whole lot of people that we would have guessed, they would have run away from Jesus, you know, too messed up, too evil. Too... Instead, they ran to him. They flew to him, and they became children of God. And I tell you, the whole thing, this, this whole chapter, this whole book, it's kind of like a movie, you know, the old, the old tried-and-true formula of, you know, they're the townspeople. You know, all of the townspeople are in real trouble, okay? They're up against it. They're pretty much doomed from from the opening scene, trapped on all sides. There's no conceivable way out. But then at the last minute, what happens? I'm giving you a hint. You know, I don't know why why he's swinging a rope unimagined, but in rides the hero, right? Saves the town, and everybody cheers, you know? This is what John is like. Because of sin, because of darkness, y'all, we are up against it. You know, sometimes people say, oh, don't preach about sin anymore. I get it, but we got to know the truth. It is deadly. It destroys. You know, I mean, Steve hinted at it earlier in his word. I mean, sin is terrible. We are trapped on all sides because of sin. There is a trap door underneath us. It's creaking. The hinge is breaking. We're going to go down. We're done for. There's no way out. We are doomed. Only God can save us. And he does. (laughs) And He does. God does. Jesus Christ rides in and sets everyone free. All who believe in him. They go from spiritual orphans, spiritual outcasts, spiritual prisoners to children of God. And the movie ends with everybody cheering. Guess what? Yeah, you can go ahead and clap if you want to. Um, I think Palm Sunday captures that moment best of all. I I, I think if you want to understand what is Palm Sunday all about, Just consider John chapter 1, consider the rest of the book. It is a picturesque celebration of the light, the life, the goodness, the joy, and the love of God just riding into town. Let me read it to you, Luke 19. I won't read the whole thing because Mark read some. Verses 28 through 31, 31 uh, 35 through 40. Jesus went up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a cult there, which very important, no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And I'm sorry, I'm just a silly person. I always imagine the disciples going, okay, Jesus, but then what do we say to the cops who respond to the 911 call because we just stole this guy's livestock? Nevertheless, verse 35, I know. I have a lot. Of, I enjoy reading Scripture. I just think it's wonderful. They brought it to Jesus through their cloaks on the colt and put him on it. As Jesus went along, people, and these really are his disciples and followers, because there are a lot of people in the crowd, but those who followed him threw their cloaks on the road. When he came to where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began loudly and joyfully to begin to praise God for all the miracles they've seen. Blessed Is this king, the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest? Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Translation, Jesus, shut these people up. Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out at the coming of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of God to his people. Isn't that great so that is really what the first palm sunday is all about it is the celebration of jesus christ riding in not only to jerusalem but into people's lives and his people those who get it and, and, and you know mark you were right from before some of these guys are thinking political they don't have all the pieces together but to anybody in whom the light is on even just a flicker there is a celebration here is heaven's king God in the flesh has come to all of us. Through his teaching, through incredibly compassionate moments, through miracles, we have seen the life and the light of God, the glory, the goodness of God is being revealed to us. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. It's Jesus Christ's coming. Changes everything for you and I. To receive Jesus Christ as our king as our light in our life, it really is a new beginning for all of us. You know that? By the way, that's why John starts off, John 1 by saying in the beginning, because to everyone who receives him, all things are new. The old is gone, the new has come, we are a new creation. That's why John starts off borrowing from Genesis, you know, that was the first beginning. Oh, this is a whole new spiritual beginning for mankind. This is what Jesus will do. But see, what we have to understand is this, not everyone will say yes to Jesus Christ. That dynamic is still in place. You know, even though every single person, before we receive Christ, every single one of us, we are a spiritual prisoner locked in a cell on death row. Even though Jesus comes to everyone, throws open the prison door, and says, come on, follow me. I got life. I got light for you. Freedom. It's yours. It's yours. Some people are going to look back and say, you know what, thanks for the offer, but Jesus, I'm going to stay in the joint, you know. It is what it is in my life. You know, I'm kind of used to this. I, I am where I am. So here's the question for us today. The question is, what about us? What about you and what about me? Here we are today, and we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something, from that worship I had no doubt, y'all, we were in the presence of Jesus through the quarrel through piece, through you guys. Man, Jesus is here. And Jesus Christ is the first word of God. He is the only word of God. And his words to you today, his words to you are light and life, freedom and goodness. And I'm gonna tell you this, only Jesus Christ can deliver on that, Okay. When it comes to light and it comes to life, only he can deliver. Some of us have tried to find light and life in other places. It's not out there. I don't care if you turn on the TV and it's, hey, buy this set of steak knives. and You will really live, you know. Drive this vehicle. All your wildest dreams will come true. No, they won't. There's only one giver of life and light, and it's Jesus Christ. So listen, if you have never put your trust in him him before, will you today? Today is your day of salvation. Palm Sunday. Could it be any classier than to accept Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday? I submit that it could not, okay? But today is your day. Experience, move beyond words on a page into a relationship with the living word of God. Others of us in the room have accepted Jesus Christ. We've experienced what I just wrote about, and we'd say, you know what, it is true. But I tell you what happens to a lot of us as we follow, as we walk with Christ, as we attend church, sometimes we wander away from the light. And we might say, man, my whole life, I, in every area of my life I've wandered away even though I'm here, or maybe just in some areas of my life I've wandered away from the light. Well, I got a news flash for you, and it's for me too, Spiritually, you and I are like houseplants. You know that? Without constant light, we wither and we die. Today is a beautiful, wonderful day to just come back to the light. Lord, in Jesus' name, as your people move through Holy Week, may they experience the holiness of their loving Heavenly Father in their lives. Father, we just celebrate your life, your light, your cleansing. Your newness in us as we move to the cross and an empty tomb next week. God, glorify yourself through your people. Bless them in Jesus' name, richly and abundantly, in the name of Christ. Amen.